Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. Hallelujah. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. Today we are in part two of a non-series called The Seven Letter Rampage. And guys, the Lord is writing to, I believe, not just the church of yesterday or tomorrow, but today. This is apocalyptic, but part of prophetic stuff, prophetic imaging anywhere, prophetic writing anywhere, prophetic reception anywhere, is that there is a relevancy to it that transcends timelines. And that goes for prophetic stuff in our own lives as well. Sometimes we're finally like, oh, that's what that means. Now I'm seeing it come to pass. And then like another year goes by and we're like, oh, that's what that meant. Now I get it. And then another five years goes by and we're like, oh, that's what that means. And uh, guys, that's good. That means we're on the right track. That doesn't mean that you were wrong five years ago or a year before that. It means that you were right, but it just means that God was righter. Okay, and that he's going to continue for as long as we're saying, Lord, open my eyes and let me see what you're doing. So, uh, Father, open our eyes and let us see your heart in these letters as they were written to the churches that you love, the churches that you were coming back for, the churches, Lord, that you still are coming back for. God, I pray that our hearts would be opened um, to find ourselves in the midst of these words and to see your heart as it's poured out for us. Let it change us, transform us, and shape us into that bride. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're at the church of Smyrna, right? And if you missed the first week, um, don't ever let it happen again. Uh, just, uh, just you can catch up online. Um, it's in the archives on the YouTube for our His Providence uh, YouTube channel. But for the message to Smyrna, it says this. It's just a couple of verses, little bitty short guy here. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write this. This will fit on a post-it note. The first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this. Now, if you remember, we talked about Jesus introducing himself in each of these letters and how his introduction is pulled from his initial revelation to John. And if you go back, he says the red letters of chapter 1, verse 17, part B says, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead and behold, I'm alive forevermore. So he's saying to John, here's who I am, all these different things. But to each of these churches, they need to be able to see me, to know me in different ways. They need to be able to receive who I am based on what they're going through. And saints, again, I know I said it last week, but I'll probably make it a point for the next five weeks after this, is that we need to be able to receive God, not just in how we've always known him, but in how he's revealing himself to us today. It's going to be different than it is for the people across the aisle or across the, the street or across the nation or across the world, but that's okay let the Lord show you who he is. I love it when he says to Moses from the burning bush, I am. You see Moses like sitting there like, yes. Shouldn't there be some sort of noun or something after that? Only God gets to end a sentence on a verb like that and it be grammatically correct. I'm like, 
But who? Yes. Are you this or are you that? Yes. I am. I am. I am something different today than who I'm going to be tomorrow. And the second that you paint me in that box, the second that you fill in that line, I've outgrown you. I've outgrown your ability to understand me. So stop trying to put him in a box. Okay, good. So to the church in Smyrna, the first and the last, I'm the first and the last who was dead and has come to life. And I say this, verse nine says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they're Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Verse 10 says, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes, remember these letters, they end with a message to the overcomer, right? He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Somebody say amen. amen. Yes. Okay, so let's talk about this. He comes out of the box and says, I'm the first and the last. Smyrna as a church was being faced with this dreadful reality that they may be very near the end of whatever comfort or convenience. There was a lot of persecution and it's becoming a reality as it has for many believers who've been walking with certain specific convictions over the last couple of years. You realize that, okay, things are changing. The end is not gonna look like the beginning. The last is not gonna look like the first. The omega is not gonna look like the alpha. And yet, to those who are facing a radical monkey wrench in the middle of their well-planned and thought out and dreamt of life, I am the first and the last. I am the protos and the eschatos. What does that mean? First and last, you know, we always think of this as the, we think of it in reference to the Alpha and Omega, and we think of God as like bookends, like, yeah, he's got it all contained. But protos and eschatos, they, they also have this sort of figurative meaning that means I am the greatest and I am the least. I am the first, like the first in line, like, like first place. Whoop, whoop, whoop. But I'm also biggest loser in a bad sense. I think actually biggest loser in that context is like, yeah, like you're the winner. But anyway, actually that's probably a perfect illustration. But the point is this, that Jesus is presenting himself in such a way to say, I run the gamut of your life experiences. I am the least. I have been in that place of having been the least, the rejected, the abandoned, the denied and betrayed. I'm not just the popular kid. I'm not just the jock. I'm not just the, the student council president. I'm the least. I'm the last picked for kickball. Anybody? I was never any good at sports, but I learned early on how to be really good at like jeering the other team. And so people would pick me for kickball just for my sense of humor. 
and that I had like your mom slams than anybody else in town. So it's like, we need that kid. He's got a mouth on him. We don't want him on the other team. You know, you pick the guy that you don't want on the other team. The first and the last. If you're writing things down, write this down. Dave, you can throw this up because it's kind of a long quote. Don't let God be something that you start with and don't end on or something you're waiting till the end before you start. Because this is, and I put it up there, is there a parental advisory at the bottom of that? Dude, it looks like it from here, Dave. I'm like, man, some of these messages are rated R, but this isn't one. You know what I'm saying? Like explicit content. Some people are watching from home now because of that. So the point of this is this. Oftentimes, we, we do one of two things with our faith. We come out of the gate. Somebody made us a promise. When you do it with God, it's better. And so we accept that truth. We get saved or whatever it is, or we engage faith on some level for some big thing, some great need. And we come out of the gate 150 miles per hour, per hour and it's like a flash in the pan. And when things start to go south, we end up going, we're resorting to something else. We go back to something that we are more certain that it works or more confident of its efficacy. And, and so we, we transition away and then we have Paul writing letters to us saying things like, oh, Galatians, what are you doing? Why would you start something by the spirit and then end it by the flesh? Don't you know he's the protos and the eschatos? Don't you know he's the beginning and the end? He's the first and the last. So he's not just for people that feel like they're in first place. And then when you start to lose and you start to lag behind in the race that we've all been called to run, and you're like, well, God's with those people up there, but I feel like, you know, I'm about to collapse here on the track. He's in last place with you too. He's in last place like after everybody goes home and the people with the Gatorade tables pack it all up and they're like, nah, that guy doesn't need any. After the news crews go away, he comes in with you in last place. He was the one. In fact, the prophecies about him paint him just as much, if not more, as the least among his brothers. And saints, I, I can't encourage those of you in the, in the room enough who you, you may not say it over yourself, but you think it. And that altar call this morning with the Campagnons down here, that was for you. You feel like because of what you've lost, you're a loser. But I want you to know that Jesus put himself in that place to walk with you in that position. Do not, do not let God be something you start with and don't end on. And then the same thing goes for those of us who feel like we were able to achieve first place without the Lord. Did you ever try to witness to somebody and they're like, nah, I'm going to wait till I'm older. You know what I'm saying? And uh, I used to say that about things, not God, but other things, you know, like I'm going to wait till I'm older to start working out. <laughs> I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. See, we're really good at procrastinating when it comes to things that require something of us, some sort of sacrifice, some sort of something. 
and our faith requires everything of us. And there's something in people that knows that. And so in an effort to avoid that for as long as possible and put it off, we'll pull this card and we'll say like, yeah, you know, I see faith associated with older people anyway. Those are the people that go to church, at least my last church. It was like older people. I'm not really there yet. It's more of like uh, my parents, my parents kind of thing. Don't let God be something that you wait till the end before you start. Well, what about the thief on the cross? He got saved and still went to heaven. Is that how you want to go to heaven? Because I'm going to be there. I'm going to be like, that guy didn't go to my church. I don't know who that is, but we didn't have any waiters. You know what I'm saying? We, we, people were trying to rush you, God, at my church. That's what my church was saying for. We were trying to rush you. We were trying to rush into things. We weren't the ones that were like, meh. How about this? Instead of saying, not today, God, we start saying, not today, Satan. Everybody all right with that? I, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and requires something of you, instead of you saying, mm, not today, God, ask me tomorrow. What if... When that doubt and that fear and that reluctance comes over us, we say, not today, Satan. I'm going to do what the Spirit of God asked me to do, and I'm going to do it right now. Oh, my word. Things would happen. Let me tell you, things would happen. That's what I want to hear out of this church. Not today, Satan. But not when I ask you to do something. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to think. I'm trying to say, like, hey, Jamal, could you lead for me this Tuesday night? Not today, Satan, get behind me. Chatabasana. All right. Guys, we got to get through this because this thing is, this is going quick. I don't, I don't know what happened. Too many announcements, missions, videos. Here we go. Listen, he says this statement, and I, I, was, I was going back and forth with the Lord on how deep do we go into this. I know your tribulation and your poverty, parentheses, but you are rich. Well, there's only about one billion ways we can go with this. Um, and I sense the Lord doing something very uncomfortable in the area of our finances. And some of y'all are like, yeah, Zach, you're about to start a building campaign again. <laughs> we don't really do building campaigns here. We just like, we, we ask people to like sense the Lord. Hear the Lord, Holy Spirit, what are you doing? Some of you guys are still being so incredibly generous and faithful from back when we started raising money to build like five years ago or something like that. And we haven't even started building yet. And all of our plans have been totally turned around and everything else. But the people that have walked with this journey all this time, you've seen this happen. And I remember it was probably four and a half, five years ago, and I preached this message out of Zechariah called Peace for the Seed. And that was back when I was naming messages. There were like three I ever named. And I talked about how in Zechariah, um, when we sow, there has to be peace in our heart. It can't be this we're sowing in order to obtain something. We have to sow because we have to sow out of a place of peace, not a, out of a place of striving or out of a place of attaining or obtaining, but we have to sow from a place of peace. And, um, and I, I, I pray that the Lord is calling us to that place of peace where we can walk in that generosity. Um, but I sense 
on a, on a, a 100,000 foot level, the Lord shifting things in our finances. Um, and part of that, as I'm reading this line, I'm reading, I know your tribulation, I know your poverty, but you are rich. If you're writing things down, write this down. Poverty is a conduct, wealth is a condition. Poverty is a conduct, wealth is a condition. Poverty is, there, there is a way that we conduct our lives. And um, I don't just mean in like a humility, but I mean in a sense of fear or doubt. And that's how you have people who have by our measuring standards, whatever America's, you know, whatever our scale is of what, what is wealthy, what is, you know, a millionaire or is it, do you have to be a billionaire now? I don't know what it is. But the idea is someone can have what the vast majority of people would deem to be an exorbitant amount, more than enough money, but still have a poverty mindset. Someone can still make decisions from a place of poverty or conduct their life from a philosophy of poverty. And I think it's really important here, and I'm gonna like sort of cross back and forth and weave in and out because I don't believe that um, like natural wealth should be disassociated from like spiritual wealth. I think that they can coexist. <laughs> I don't think that, you know, when, well, people, well, Zach, Jesus said, blessed are the poor. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And that poor, that poor, that word that's translated poor, it means literally to get lower, to descend. There's actually real stairs. I don't know why I had to do the fake stairs. So they got low, 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 low. That's what that word means. So I don't want to hear this. Well, I'm not going to be blessed by the Lord unless I am poor. Well, that's true in your spirit. Unless you're willing to go to a lower place. Now, at the same time, that truth translates into our natural wealth as well. Unless we're willing to go to a lower place in terms of how we deem and value monetary wealth. There's a blessing in that. If we're willing to push that thing lower, let the Lord shift things in your heart, okay? I'm not, the, I'm not a money preacher. Um, as everybody from a couple of Tuesday nights ago, you saw that firsthand when Barbara came down and gave a really cool word that was, I think my words were, it feels rickety on me because it's not what I'm used to. And honestly, it's probably not what a lot of our church is used to, but how many of you guys know there's a lot more of God than what we're used to? And I believe that the Lord wants to redeem some things that the church has just wickedly screwed up. So let's be ready for him to flip some tables over in us. So wealth is a condition. It's a state, state of contentment, it's a, it's a value system. But I want to bring your mind back to a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And he writes, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might become rich. 
through his poverty might become rich. Well, how does that work? Don't we need rich to become rich? No, you needed rich to become poor. We needed the transition. We needed the forfeiture of heaven's splendor in order for us to obtain it through Jesus Christ. And so the same thing goes for the church of Smyrna and the folks in here uh, this morning who are of the lineage of Smyrna, Smyrnians, Smurfs, really. That's what, they, that's what people were called from Smyrna, okay? I think that's not in the Bible. So, but for the Smurfs in the room, I, I want to encourage you to be challenged, to be challenged about your mindset, to be challenged about your worldview. There are some very significant differences, and it has nothing to do with actually how much money is in your bank account. It has nothing to do with actually what's in your uh, 401k or your retirement or in your property values or your assets versus liabilities or any of that. It has to do with how you perceive. If everything you do is about survival, ask the Lord to challenge that poverty mindset. Because people who have uh, conduct their lives from a place of poverty, everything they do is, I don't know if I'm gonna make it. I don't know if I'm gonna have enough. I'm like, are you kidding me? I know how much you have. And it's more than enough. Literally, it's more than enough. Like not even just spiritually, like, but it comes from this fear. And for some people, I wanna honor the fact that, that you're, you're challenged and stretched because you have come literally from a place of literal poverty. Like I grew up in poverty, okay? Me, Zach Lenz. I grew up in poverty. We, I remember we lived for months in a borrowed pop-up camper behind a church in the summer without air conditioning in North Carolina. Not today, Satan. But I, I, I know because I still to this day, and I'm 56 years old today. To this day, it's my birthday, so I hope you all have cards and stuff ready. You know what I'm saying? But um, to this day, I was just talking to Ashley like a couple months ago, and we have both, our families have both been through really crazy seasons and valleys and ups and downs of, of monetary, you know, abundance and nothing. And Ashley never came from that place. She never had that on her. And, and as we've been married now, this July, next two months is like 14 years, right? Is it 14 years? <laughs> this is for you. This clap is for you. It's not for me. It's for you. It's for you. Good job, babe. But, but I, to this day, sense things falling off of me, like weird, weird money things coming off of me that the Lord's like, you don't need that anymore. Things like, well, I have the money today and I see it for sale. And if I don't buy it today, it might not be there tomorrow. I need to do it. I need to buy it. It's fear. And it comes from a place of poverty that the Lord wants to set us free from. And somehow I can have all the faith in the world for what God is doing financially for our church 
and believe into it and sow into it sacrificially and, and believe for scholarships to be raised up and to make donations and to take money out of our building fund and, and make radical sacrifices. I believe all of it. And our elders do too. And it's just this incredibly powerful thing. But for some reason, personally, there's still stuff that the Lord's like, that's not me. That didn't come from heaven. Lord, challenge us. I don't want the Lord to have to say to me, I'm sympathizing with your poverty because I became poor, but I only became poor so that you could become rich. And now you're really rich. So get out of your own head, get out of your own fear, get out of that bed of lies, Satan and the generations before you made for you because my people were called to be the head and not the tail, okay? I don't have time to preach like this today. So y'all need to stop cheering me on, okay? I'm just messing with you. <laughs> oh, man, that's what it feels like to be a conservative in New England. The next thing he says is really cool. He says, I know not just uh, your poverty, but your rich, but he says, I know about the blasphemy of the counterfeit Jews. Um, I'm going to read that line to you um, right here. He says, and I know the blasphemy of those who are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Wow. If you're writing things down, get this before you leave today. The more real something gets, the more counterfeits are made to compete with it. The more real something gets, the more counterfeits there are that are made to compete with it. See, we get nervous when we start to see counterfeits. We think, see, in our natural thinking, we start to think this. Well, the more counterfeits are made, you know what? I don't even need the real thing anymore. The real thing isn't as valuable now because of all these counterfeits. It's like, who even knows, you know, like if this Rolex that I got in Manhattan on the street corner for $50, you know what I'm saying? Like, pfft. I don't even know because now you can get them for like 25. Like, what is this one even worth now? I don't even know if it's worth it. Guys, that's the exact opposite of the truth. The truth is that the more fake stuff that comes out, the more valuable the real thing really is. And we are living in an unprecedented era of counterfeit Christianity. We are living in a time when more structures have the word church over their doors and signs out in the parking lot and are, are more, never in history have there been more that are a den of thieves that are a synagogue of Satan, if you will, than today. It has never been more important than it is right now that we walk out our faith with integrity and authenticity and sincerity. And this is a call to become more real, not to sacrifice or compromise or forfeit the true inherent value of your faith for something that's a little bit easier. Oh, I love it. I love it when people are like, you know, Zach, if you, know, if you could just tweak the service a little bit like this or like this or like that or like this, if it was shorter, if it was at this time, if you could push it to 30 minutes later or 30 minutes earlier or in the summer, if we could do it like this. Let me tell you something. Our services are dictated by the fact that we're in a temporary sanctuary right now. Our parking lot is dictated by the fact that the rest of the parking lot looks like a war zone. Um, you know what I'm saying? 
our, our space has been dictated from day one by the fact that y'all cannot stop having babies for some reason. And so we have a, we have a his kids that is like bursting at the seams down there. And it's not even up to me. It's not even up to me. It's up to the Lord. Guys, for real though, like there are times, I just want to just be honest with you. There are times when we're like, you know, when we're like at this point in worship and I'm like looking at the clock and I'm looking back there at the clock. Dave put a clock on the TV to be like, Zach, if the clock that is atomically corrected on your iPad for some reason stops working, please look at the clock on the TV screen. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to wrap this up. I'm going to wrap this up so we can move on. And then somebody comes down with the glory of God on them and drops some bomb at the altar. And then it all just goes. That's why Tuesday night prayers have just been going. It's like 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. And people are still being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Listen, we don't decide these things. We go with the flow. Okay. The Lord invented the saying, go with the flow. Okay. Get over yourself. The more real something gets, the more counterfeits are made to compete. And as the church is purified, because that's what persecution does, it purifies us. Don't be nervous. Don't be nervous when you see because of what the spirit of Jesus calls us to. When you see people start to fall off. Don't be discouraged by that. Be excited about the fact that we are being purified. Well, I'm going to go to a church that doesn't preach about sin, or I'm going to go to a church that isn't so hard on, you know, the specific sins that I don't want talked about, or I'm going to go to a different church. That's okay. That's not okay. But don't be discouraged by it. Saints, as the church is purified, there will be more options. But I am asking and I am pleading and my appeal and the appeal from heaven is that as the love of many grows cold, you get hotter. Yes. You get hotter. Push in closer. Push in closer. And Jesus says this, do not fear. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. (laughs) I don't ever want to hear that from the Lord. Like, it's going to be bad. You know what I'm saying? Like, do not fear. And then you're like, this is going to be something scary coming after that. Otherwise, you wouldn't have to proceed it with the disclaimer. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. First of all, I want to talk about prison for a second. Prison isn't always prison. Prison isn't always incarceration. It's not always a sentence at the ACI. Is it ACI? That's what it's called, right? They changed the name since I was there. It was in the 70s, so the Lord's done a lot of work. If you can, some of you, if you, if you want to get real with me this morning for a minute, prison is a separation and an isolation from your life. The testing that comes. Literally, that word testing It's to try or attempt to. It's efforts made against you, attempts made against your life, against your integrity, against your character. You will be tested. And it literally means tried, like tried like a a sentence. You will be tried. And everything that 
can be thrown at you will be thrown at you to see what sticks. But this tribulation, he says, it's only gonna be 10 days. I wanna just, I can't let you go before we talk about this for a second and a couple other points. <laughs> 10 days, 10 days. I felt like the Lord was pointing out a couple of things here. And number one, it's this, there is a definite end to this. And I wanna say to you this morning, for those of you who are in a prison of your own, the separation, the isolation, the incarceration. There is a definite end to this. But that number 10, it bears a lot of biblical significance. And I'm not usually like the numerology guy that's like, oh, every single number, we're gonna like, you know, that's gonna become the new thing. And every time you see the number 10, you have to think this or whatever. Um, I'm not telling you what lottery cards to pick. I'm gonna tell you that 10 shows up in some pretty interesting places throughout scripture. And very often when it does, it bears a significance of responsibility and obedience and new beginnings. The 10 commandments come down and they bear the weight of responsibility and obedience and new beginnings. There were uh, several places where um, 10 shows up in, in the timeline of Jesus's life. He was chosen for the cross on the 10th day of the month. And I, I'm not even gonna go through all these different places, but when you see 10 showing up, you see this marriage of responsibility and either obedience or disobedience. But in both of these situations throughout scripture, this idea of new beginning shows up. And I have to think that when Jesus is writing to the church of Smyrna and to the Smurfs in the room today, he's saying, guys, there is an end to this. And upon that end, I am bringing about a new beginning. I am raising up a bride that can take responsibility to the next level of obedience and into the faithfulness that I'm gonna reveal through that trial, through that tribulation, into a new beginning, into something new that I'm doing, that not just in the church, but in you as an individual. He says, be faithful to death and I'll give you the crown of life. Saints, we're after a life that does not come except through death. And would you stand with me? He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. I remember asking this of people back at like the height of COVID when we had, when we had people who were just absolutely bound by fear. And it sounds crass and it sounds disrespectful and all those things, but y'all know that I'm not afraid of sounding like that. But I'm gonna ask it again 
and I'm going to ask it again. I'm going to ask it again and again and again. And for as long as the Lord has me at this pulpit, I'm going to challenge our church with this question. What could you possibly be afraid of? What could you possibly be afraid of? If death hasn't lost its sting for you, then you are not convinced of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm gonna say it again. If death has not lost its sting for you, then you are not convinced of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because as far as I can tell, this entire book was written to remove us from that fear. Whatever death. And guys, this is a book that is filled. Its writers, its authors, its apostles and disciples, its men and women of faith were crucified, burned alive, hung upside down, bled out, cut open, tarred and feathered, you name it, impaled on stakes and, and lit on fire outside the city as street lights for the roads into Rome. What do we possibly have to be afraid of? Because it certainly isn't death. It certainly is not death. And it certainly is not hell. And it certainly is not lack. And it certainly is not disease or infirmity or affliction or sin or bondage or anything else that we used to be afraid of. There's nothing left. There's nothing left to fear. If I grew up being afraid that I might not have the money tomorrow and I've got to do it today, that fear has no place in me anymore. That poverty mindset, that lack has no place in me anymore. Because I'm a son of God and you're a daughter of God. What could you be afraid of? What could you possibly have to panic about? What could you have anxiety over? Now, this is coming from a guy who, there's still stuff. I told you, at my age, and the Lord's still flicking stuff off me. But you know what? I'm letting him. I'm letting him. I'm letting him. You got to let him. You got to let him do it. We might not be clinging to our lives. We might not yet, and I say yet with a capital Y-E-E-E-E-E-T. We might not yet be persecuted unto death in this country. We might not be clinging to our lives, but we're clinging to the things that make our lives what we think we want them to be. We're clinging to careers to the point where we're compromising convictions in order to keep them. We're clinging to relationships that are toxic for us to the point where we're compromising our faith and our walk with the Lord and our relationship with the only one that matters. When he right out says in his book, if you don't hate this one and leave this one, this might not work for you. We're clinging to comforts and conveniences. Saints, we have to cling to Jesus. We have to cling to Jesus. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. How do we overcome? We cling to Jesus. We overcome by the blood of the lamb and the testimony 
that that blood covers us. Father, we thank you this morning for these love letters. We thank you, God, for the rampage that you went on to get your church right. And so, Father, we humbly submit ourselves to that end that you would make us right. God, we thank you for the salvation, God, uh, that, that we have in the, in the cross and in the gospel. And we thank you, God, for the heaven that we have to look forward to and the proximity to you. But God, in these days of our lives on this earth, may we be marked by a fearlessness of the, the, the death, God, that, that is looming one way or the other. God, if it's, if it's persecution or if it's a communicable disease or if it's, if it's lack, God, the graveyard of our mind that's held us too long. God, today, may we be a people who overcome and just cling to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Have the best day of your lives, all right? We'll see you all next week. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you, and have the best day of your life.